Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're excited you're here, and we hope today's message encourages you, builds your faith, and brings you hope for the future. May God bless you as you listen in to today's message. We opened up the service with the song Hallelujah. The reason why we started with Hallelujah is because Hallelujah stands for rejoicing or Jesus is risen and he's alive. That's what our Easter or Resurrection Sunday is all about. The central theme of our faith or our belief is all about Jesus and him crucified and rose again on the third day. He was now seated at the right-hand side of the Father, making intercessions for you. I'm so glad that today I don't serve Muhammad or Buddha, but I serve a living God who's not in the pyramid or not in the tomb, but he's now seated with God. And not only is he seated with God, but he's making intercession and he's praying for you and he's loving you and comforting you in your time of need. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that baseball season is here. How many are ready for baseball, amen? You know, America's pastime, you know, the, the, the sport that people like. I hope that I can go see a twin game. I don't know if COVID's going to keep us out or not, but I'd like to go see a twin game for my wife's sake. Not that I'm a Twins fan, but my wife is. I'll be honest with you, don't stone me and throw tomatoes at me, but I am a Yankee fan, amen. Come on, boo, right? I know, I know that was coming, so get it off your system. I don't want you to be mad at me today and throw tomatoes at me tomorrow. I'm a Yankee fan. You know why I'm a Yankee fan? Because you know what they say? A turtle never makes any stride until he sticks out its neck. And once the turtle sticks out its neck, it's able to advance. And here's the problem. I was a Brewer fan, and you know, but I got tired of being a loser fan. And then I became a Twins fan, but I got mad at the Twins because they never kept their free agents. They had all kinds of free agents that they could have went and won the World Series more, and they let them all go. But I became a Yankee fan because they took risks. And any time in your life, any time in your life, we're all about risk. Today, you took a risk, if you're a visitor, you took a risk to come here to visit with us here at Adventure Church. And I want to say thank you for taking a risk to come and visit with us. Thank you for being here today. I don't know about you, but when I go visit a church, man, I see a church I don't know, I'm like a deer in headlights. I'm like, Man, are these people from Mars? Are they from planet Pluto? Are they weird? What are they lifting their hands? They sing loud. The music's loud. They're dancing. The place is dark. Man, we look like we're in a bar. Yeah. We build it up at the right bar. We're bellied up with Jesus. Amen. We get high in the most high. Amen. We get high in the most high, right? But I know what you're talking about, and I understand coming to a church and sticking out your neck. You took a risk to come here, and I want to say thank you for that. But every time a batter steps into the batter's box, he takes a risk. The risk is that he has the opportunity or the challenge to hit a fastball that's coming at you maybe 95 to 100 miles an hour. Can you imagine a ball coming at you 95 to 100 miles an hour? That's crazy. But here's the challenge of the baseball. The baseball, you get three strikes. Obviously, one, two, three. Third strike, you're out. Whenever you have three strikes, sometimes what that is, it's a, it's a wasteless out. Whenever you have three strikes and maybe you can't advance the runner, it's not a sacrifice fly, it's just a strikeout and it's a wasteless out. And so baseball is like that. But if you equate the resurrection, uh, let me give you a wasteless out of the enemy. If you have your on the screen, you will be able to see. In this resurrection season, let me show you a wasteless out that the enemy tried to do. In this resurrection season, the devil got three strikes. He stood in the batter's box. Can you imagine? The pitcher was Jesus. He stood in the batter's box, and Jesus was the pitcher. 
And he was probably mocking and scowling Jesus, saying, come on, pitcher, 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 throw the ball. Probably scowling at Jesus, saying, I got you. First one, he hit the ball. And what happened? Jesus was crucified. Thought he won. He thought he won on the first pitch. Hey, that's easy. Man, I can handle that. That's an easy strike. Wham, bam, home run. Second pitch. What happened? Jesus was put in the grave. Oh, it is finished. I beat him. I won. Never have to see him again. Third pitch. Jesus got him. He rose from the grave. Jesus, let me tell you, he may give the opportunity for the enemy to feel good, look good, even seem good, but in the end, Jesus always wins. So because of that, check this out. In this resurrection season, the devil got three strikes. Here's what it is. He got knocked out. He got locked up in the lake of fire. And he got took out. Amen. And I'm here to tell you today, God is the ultimate pitcher. God is the one who calls the balls and strikes in your life. And God is the one who calls the balls and strikes when the enemy tries to come in like a flood. God is going to raise up a standard against it. And you are going to ultimately come out and you are ultimately going to win. You are ultimately going to have a grand slam. Why? Because if God is for you, who can be against you? And God is watching you, protecting you, looking over you. And he's alive and well, looking after the children who he loves, which is you. That's why he calls you. He's the Abba Father. He takes care of his sons and his daughters, and he's taking care of you, and no matter what strike comes at you, in the end, if you hold on, you stay true, and take a risk with God, you will win. Somebody say amen. Amen. But I like these other strikes that came at Jesus. Over a week, of, uh, over a course of a week, Jesus went from cheers to jeers. And we, last week, and we remember, we celebrated Palm Sunday. What is Palm Sunday? When Jesus walked down the road of Jerusalem and what happened? They were cheering, Jesus, son of David. They were laying down their clothes, waving palm leaves, and they were celebrating. And that cheer went to a jeer of, who are you? Anger, frustration at Jesus. Went from jeers to cheers, from beatings to hangings. Can you imagine? From cheers to jeers, from beatings to hanging on the cross. Last night it was pretty cool. Cheryl and I came by last night, late last night, because we wanted to look like it appeared that we put the robe on the cross at midnight, right? So we got out here, and actually it was 11.35 when we put that cloth on the, on the uh, cross. And while we were putting it on there and changing the lights from red to white, there was people going by in their cars, and guess what they were doing? They were honking their horns at us. And you know what that signified to me? Either they were mad or they were happy that our Jesus, our God, our King, our Lord, our Savior is alive. Amen. I'm going to tell you, amen. They were happy. But listen, he's hanging on the cross. But look at here's why they were happy. He's from hanging from the grave, from the grave to save. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see. He went from the grave to save. 
to save a wretch like me, like you. Where the enemy thought he had three strikes and the devil or the Lord was out, God came from the grave to save a wretch like me. That is why Pastor Andrew opened with the song, Hallelujah. Why? Because we sing and we shout. But you ever think about what is the word hallelujah? When I was first became a youth pastor, believe it or not, I was a worship leader for 12 years until I blew up my lower voice. And so I, I had to stop and I had to give up worshiping because preaching and worshiping and doing all what I did, it blew my voice up. But I remember when I was a worship pastor, one of the people of our church there in Merrill, Wisconsin, when I first started down this road, they gave me a little plaque. And on the plaque, it read, Hallelujah. And I've always put that right on my bookshelf, right straight in front of me, as a reminder to rejoice. To rejoice and to give the Lord praise. But what does hallelujah mean? Hallelujah means God be praised and worshiped. Or an expression of rejoicing. Why? Because he has risen. Come on. Amen. That's what hallelujah is all about. It's a rejoicing of an expression. I always say it's an inward experience with an outward expression. How are people going to know if Jesus lives in you if you are always walking around like a sourpuss instead of being joy, 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 happy, happy, happy? Because if Jesus lives in you, the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. If the joy of the Lord is your strength, let your face show it. Somebody say Amen. Let your face show it. And how do you show it? By hallelujah. I'm rejoicing. This is the day the Lord has made. I will, I shall. What? Rejoice in it. Come on, rejoice today. Amen? That's what it's all about. I love this. The resurrection is our hope and our Savior. He is alive and our assurance that we will be with him again. Wow. You see, listen, our beginning right now in our relationship with God is not the beginning and the end. It's the beginning that's leading towards the end. What happens from now until he comes is how we live out our lives. I choose this day to rejoice. That's why James chapter 1 verse 3 said, Count it all joys, my brothers and my sisters, when you face many trials and go through these situations in your life. Why? Count it all joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So what happens right now, you may not like the lot where you're in. You may not like the place that you're in. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, guess what he's going to do? He's going to establish joy in you. And that joy that's going to be established in you, why? Is because you're going to have the confidence and the assurance that if God is for me, who can be against me? I may be in this battle. I may be in this war in my life. But God and me make a majority. And if God is on my side, Devil, let me remind you, you were defeated once, and you're going to be defeated again. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength, and I'm walking through the fire. Because, God, you are the fourth man in the fire. And he'll pull you through. I always say this. When you think about Easter, there's three things you should think about when you think about Easter. Number one is this. Fill your mind with three things. Number one, it is finished. That Jesus took upon himself our sins. 
He nailed them to the cross. At that point when he said it's finished, there was a separation between him and God, and he took the world's sins, and he nailed them to, to the cross. And because it's finished, you and I can have redemption, hope of knowing that God, my sins are covered under the blood that you bore on that cross. It is finished. You know, I love this next one. The next thing is he is not there. Can you imagine that? Keep this in your mind. He is not there. Why is that significant? Because Jesus told the disciples, you will go to find me and I will not be there. That he is not there. The proof of his resurrection in life. But I love this. He is risen. Come on. He is risen. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. In Matthew 28, I love this. Matthew 28 leads up now to the resurrection. If we remember, if you were here on, at Good Friday, we talked about Matthew 26 and 27, and we called it the final countdown, the, stead, the 10 stages or the 10 steps that led to Jesus' crucifixion to a place now of Matthew 28 where the resurrection comes. And when you read this story about Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, you can, can kind of look at it when you read it, if you're anything like me, I like to dissect things. I like to take it apart. I like to get all I can, all the nutrients from that verse. What is it saying to me? How can I apply it to my life? And how can I help others with it? So if you're always looking through the Word of God, ask yourself, what is it saying to me? What is it saying to me? When you read the Word of God, don't say, what is it saying to so-and-so? How can it help my spouse? How can it help my kids? No. When you're reading the Word, ask yourself, what is it saying to me? Make it personal. And then say, how can I apply it to my life? And then how can I help others with it? So when I read the Word of God in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, I have to be honest, when I first read the story, and I read it numerous times, I don't know how many times I read the Bible cover to cover. I don't know how many times I went through seven different Bibles already that I've already destroyed and devoured that I'm giving to my kids when I decease and go meet to Jesus. That's when I'm going to give them to my kids. Right now I go back and look into my resources because I write in all the index of my Bibles all my little notes, and then I pick them up and I go back to that and my resources of that. So when I pass away, they'll get my Bibles. But until now, no, that's my nuggets, right? I'm not talking about chicken nuggets from McDonald's, right? But you know, what? what when you look at about Matthew 28, it can kind of look like, seriously, it can kind of look like a science fiction movie. You think about that. You can kind of look at Matthew 28 and think, is, is this legit? I'm not talking about MC Hammer, too legit, too legit to quit. <clears throat> no, not that. Is, is this legit? Because when you read in these verses, it talks about, number one, an angel shining bright. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever seen it really an angel? I've experienced angels, you know, in my life. Hebrews 1, 14, he sends his ministering spirits. An angel. Then another one, the stone was rolled away. Wow. And it rolled away by itself? Then it says there was a great Mary, an earthquake. Man, the story gets even thicker. Man, a dead man placed in a grave, now he's not there. Is this really for real? Come on, this is a science fiction movie. Understand what I'm saying? And sometimes when we look at the Word of God, that's how we look at it. Is it really real? This is a make-believe story. Man, I can read a history book, and, man, I get more out of a history book, and I can trust that history book, and I, I can read about this guy and that guy. But, man, when it comes to the Bible, why do we struggle with accepting the reality or the truth of the Word of God? And sometimes we struggle with that because 
we look at it like a science fiction movie and think that could not have happened. But I always have to remind myself, if God said it, that settles it and that's it. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. Because listen, what happens is when you're reading the Word of God and you read things like that, the old enemy comes in. I always call him Mr. Sandman. When you're reading the Word of God, you know what he does? He does two things. He does two things when you're reading the Word of God. Number one, he gets you tired. If you want to read the Word of God and go to sleep, man, start reading the Word of God. That's better than taking NyQuil before you go to bed. The enemy just starts giving Mr. Sandman. Jesus loves me. Oh, and God said, how I many know what I'm talking about? You fall asleep. Right? Right? But then you know what the other part is when you read the Word of God? Here's what happens the other part of the second part of when you read the Word of God. The enemy comes in. The Lord stands on this shoulder. The enemy's on this shoulder. You know what the enemy's saying? Oh, that's not true. That's not really real. You really think an angel was there? You really think the stone was rolled away? You really think that God raised from the dead? You really think there was an earthquake? And God's over here reminding you of the word that my word is established forever. And my word will not return void. And so what, when the enemy does that, you know what that does? It brings confusion. He brings confusion to your spirit to get you detoured off the truth because, after all, the truth will set you free. So if he can bring confusion, that's why the Bible says God is not an author of confusion, but a God of peace. And the reason why he says peace, because if you trust the word of God and understand the word of God and apply the word of God to your life, you're not going to walk in confusion, but you're going to walk down the path of righteousness and you're going to have a peace of knowing that God is leading me, guiding me, and directing me, and most of all, protecting me in this life journey. Somebody say amen. So if you look at in Matthew, i got to read it from here. He said, after the Sabbath, at the dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, 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 quite contrary, right, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Get it? Look at this movie, this script. Look at what's taking place. Yeah, right. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Think about that. This sounds like a science fiction movie. It goes on from there. So the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. So in other words, can you get that now? The angel reminded why was Jesus in the tomb in the first place? Because on Friday he was crucified, but on Sunday he rose again. I always say Friday's here, but thank God Sunday's coming. Sunday was a time of resurrection and life and hope that we can find in Christ. But then it goes on, watch this. He is not here. What do you mean he's not here? I just saw him put in the tomb. I witnessed it. I saw it. Are you kidding me? This is science fiction. You're, you're kidding me. You're killing me, Holmes. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that when you're reading the Word? And he goes on to say, watch this. Just as he said what Jesus said, I will rise again. When Peter cut off the ear of the soldier 
What did Jesus do? He picked up the ear and put it back on the soldier and said, Peter, this has to take place. These things have to transpire in order for me to do the will of the Father. And he was foretelling that this is going to take place, that I will die, but I will rise. And he goes on to say this, come and see the place where he laid. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. You see what he says? So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped their feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but reading that, hearing that, it sounds like a science fiction movie. But I look at the story as this. Jesus came into the world humble and broken. When he went to the inn, we know the story. He rode a donkey. The donkey had the cross. He had Mary, and Mary was delivering the baby with Mary and Joseph. It was so humble that he, what, was laid in the tomb, uh, laid in the manger, right? But look what happened. He was broke, humbled and broken, but he ex ex exited with power and authority, and here's the power and authority. He had power and authority over death, hell, and the grave. Now, if you can't get excited about that, your wood's wet. Because I'm mean to tell you right now, that gets me excited because our God overcame death, hell, and the grave. And that's why we sing hallelujah. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. I love this. A science fiction movie is just that. It's just that, fiction. But the resurrection, it's not fiction. It's facts. There is no ifs, ands, or buts. The God that I serve is not some make-believe superhero. He is the ultimate hero, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess at the superhero's name. And that name is above every name. And that superhero is J-E-S-U-S, -S, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Batman, Superman, they all those heroes, they have nothing on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. I always tell my grandkids, they have all those little dolls. You know, the, the Batman, they, they eat all the little superhero dolls, and they love getting Papa. They love beating me up. I kid you not. Cannon, he's getting too strong. You have to always keep your eye on him because he gives me the right cross, he'll knock me out. Amen. But I tell them all the time, I say, Cannon and Miles, you may beat me right now with these superheroes, but I'm going to beat you with Jesus. Papa, that's not fair. That's not fair. I said, why is it not fair? Because he's not playing the game. I said, yes, he is with me. Amen? But you think about it. The facts of the story, the facts of the story, number one, in Matthew 28, you can see the fulfillment. In Matthew 28, verse 6, this is what he said. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. So the first facts of the story is it was fulfilled. What Jesus says, he follows through with his word. God will never go against his word. That's why the Bible says his word is living and active, sharpening any double-edged sword. 
And the reason why he says that is because his word is living. It is true. It is active. It has life and life-giving. And so, therefore, what God does in life-giving, now you got to get this in your heart. The reason why it's life-giving, life-giving means, in the life-giving means promises, fulfillment, peace, and strength. That's what his word does. It's life-giving to those who receive it, believe it. Now you got to get this. Receive it and believe it and expect it. It's life-giving to those who open up and say, God, I believe it. That settles it. Amen? So he says this. God wrote the script. Jesus fulfilled the actions. There was no take two. There was no take two. A lot of times people see the videos that we put out here at Adventure Church. They say, man, Pastor, man, how many times does that take? Well, you don't want to know. Tori tells, hey, Pastor CJ or Pastor Cheryl or Pastor Andrew or Katie, maybe we need to change this. Take two. Maybe take three, take four. If it's anything like me, take ten. But when God did this, like I love this, when Jesus fulfilled the action, there was no take two. It was one and done. Signed, sealed, and delivered. That Jesus said it, that settles it, I believe it. It was one and done. Jesus told his disciples the story before it took place. So that when it took place, Jesus' story was already in their hearts. They knew it was going to happen. The fulfillment of Jesus' words gives us hope that his word to us is yes and amen. He gives us that hope. He gives us that assurance. Number two is this. I love this next one. The facts of the story, the witness. In Matthew 28, verse 9, it says this. Jesus met them, greetings, he said. In two weeks from now, over here to my left, there's going to be this whole place that's going to turn into the courtroom. Judge Melissa and all the Burnett County people are going to be here in two weeks, and they have a huge court case. And so they came in here a couple, about a week ago, they came in here on a Wednesday, and they set up, and over here, they're going to have all the jury over here, and the jury's going to be set up there. And if you're a police officer on the case, they're going to be sitting in the kitchen, and all the other juries, as they select them, are going to be sitting in the coffee shop in the nursery area, and they're going to get ready for this case. And the case and what they're having, I'm not quite clear what it is, but what they're doing is they're putting together a jury. And how do they find out guilty or not guilty is by the witnesses that they bring in. The witness is one who's seen it. Not only just seen it, but also heard it. And so a witness verifies what they see. And so what they see is also the verdict and what the jury puts out, whether guilty or not guilty. And they always go on the witnesses. If you ever seen the 48 Hours, that show on TV, what do they do? After a tragedy that takes place wherever city, they use a lot of in Tulsa and all these different things that they show on 48 Hours, the first 48 Hours. What do they do after the tragedy? They go to all the houses that are located in that area, and they knock on doors, and they say, hey, Kari, did you witness this? Did you hear anything? Did you see anything? Then they go to look and see who had video cameras on their buildings and hoping they could find the suspect. And after they compile all the evidence, they bring it to the jury. And then the jury has the verdict, guilty or not guilty. And they go according to what they witness. Why does Jesus say the witness, the fulfillment of the witness? It's because witnesses bring the truth. You see, listen, I love this. Notice what Jesus did. Jesus says to greet means, when he said greetings, to welcome or invite or to introduce yourself. 
Now, why did Jesus go up to the disciples who already knew him and say greetings? You know why? If you look in John chapter 6, Jesus just got done feeding the 5,000, did great miracles, and he sent the disciples across the lake and the storm came up. What happened? The disciples that moment from leaving the shore in the middle of a storm, that moment in the midst of their storm, in the midst of their storm, guess what they forgot? They forgot who Jesus was. They even forgot his appearance. They forgot even what Jesus can do. And so when Jesus came out there in John chapter 6 and started to walk on the water, guess what? The disciples forgot who Jesus was, and the Bible says they thought he was a ghost. And what happens a lot of times in our lives, when we're going through storms of life, we sometimes forget who Jesus is. He's not a ghost. He's not a superhero. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords who wants to introduce to yourself again back into your problems, circumstances, and situations of your life. So when Jesus says, greetings, what he was doing, he was reintroducing himself to those who are walking in anxiety and fear, frustration and tension of what's going to take place now. You see this, Jesus introduces himself not as a man, but as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the resurrection king. But the fulfillment or the witnesses, now watch this. How do we know that Jesus is alive? Show me the proof of your existence. So many times we live in a society that I'll believe it when I see it. But that's not what faith is. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith is the substance of things unseen. But things hoped for. In your journey with God, God reveals things to you as you walk it out. But if you're stuck in park, guess what? That's all you're going to see. But if you start driving like today, right after this thing, we're going to Duluth, and I got a helicopter ride that it was given to Cheryl and I, and at 3 o'clock you can pray for your pastor because I'm scared to death. I'm going to be in a helicopter. Man, I'm, I'm going up. One way or the other, I'm going up. I hope I come down okay, right? Here's the proof. The proof of your existence, he appeared to the woman near the tomb. Proof. He appeared to the followers in the upper room. Proof. He appears to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Proof. He appears to his friends on the shore of Galilee. Proof. You would have thought by those four events that people would have got on to, hey, he appeared four times, and there's many, many other times that he appears. You would have thought by now they would have said, hey, this Jesus thing, he really is alive. But there still was one who was the doubting Thomas. And maybe that doubting Thomas is you. Maybe you're still questioning, is God alive? Where you have this resurrection Sunday, is God really alive? Doubting Thomas had the same thing. But look at this, because they doubt it, check this out. They even touched his body and heard his voice. Robin, after four appearances that Jesus showed himself, they still were in doubt. So Jesus said, here, touch my scars. Touch the place where I was pierced. Touch my back where I took upon the cat of nine tails. See if that's my, me. 
And you know what Jesus said to the doubting Thomas? Aaron, he said, look at my scars. God takes your scars and turns them into stars. Now watch this. He said, touch my scars. You know what a scar is? A scar represents a battle. Underneath my chin when I was a kid, I was at my grandfather's farm, and I was riding a bike that had no handle, handle, bar, handle grips on the handlebars, and it was all rusty and sharp at the end. And I went down a hill, and I fell on the bike, and the handlebars lacerated my chin. And I'm an hour away from the hospital, and I was bleeding like crazy. And, man, every time when I shave, I, I see that scar under my chin. A scar is a reminder of the battle that you went through. But also a scar is a reminder of the victory that you won. And Jesus said to Thomas, touch my scars. Touch my scars. You still don't believe? Touch my scars. You still have doubt? Touch my scars. The battle, the pain, the hurt, the whipping, the flogging, the beating. Touch my scar. Touch my scar. The victory. Death, hell, and the grave. Touch my scar. I won. I won. But here's the key. He didn't do it for himself. He didn't win for himself. He won for you and all mankind. God said, touch my scars. My scar, I'm turning into stars because I won the battle over death, hell, and the grave. I defeated death by rising today so that you can have life and life more abundantly. Touch my scars. Sometimes we need to touch the scars. I need to move. We need to stop being Missouri, the show-me state, and just believe by faith. That's what faith is. How many ever said this before? God, I don't understand it. David, all through the book of Psalms, he said, God, where can I go without your presence? When I'm on the mountain, you're there. When I'm in the valleys, you're there. When I'm in the depths of the grave, you're there. And at the end, David said, God, I don't understand. I don't understand, God, but I know one thing, God. You must love me enough to be on the high tops and the low tops and in the valleys of my life. You're always there. I don't understand. But just because, now get this, just because you don't understand, just because you don't understand doesn't mean you don't take it in and walk by faith. You, see, you say, well, pastor, I don't have faith. Oh, yes, you do. The Bible says every one of you have been given a measure of faith. And the Bible says that faith is like a mustard seed, the one of the smallest seeds that God can take your little faith and make it much. And how does your faith grow? By every victory that God pulls you through in your life. Touch the scars to remind you that you won. And God said, touch the scars. In James chapter 2, verse 19, and I am going to close while you're in. 
So I am closing right here, Terry. You believed that there is a God? You see, listen, let's not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen? So you believe there's a God? Now watch this. He said, good. I'm glad you do. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Why is it that even the one that God cast out, the angel, which is the devil, out of heaven because he was jealous of the majesty and the power and the honor of God, he himself, who has been ruled and he knows his destination, he knows that his ultimate end is going to be defeated because if you read from Genesis to Revelation, my Bible, your Bible, tells us in the end that we win. And he even knows that there's a God. And if the enemy knows there's a God, then why can't we? Because we want to see it. We want to see it before we believe it. Listen to this. If the one who fights against us believes that Jesus exists, then why can't you believe that Jesus is alive? My question to you this morning, do you believe? Are you a doubting Thomas that you need to touch the scars before you turn into a star for him? You see, that's not what faith is. Faith said, God, I believe. But maybe, just maybe, some of you have to be Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Maybe this is you. You're your pastor now. The father came to Jesus. He was full of anxiety, pain, suffering, frustration, hurt. You know why? Because his son was demon-possessed and throwing himself into the fire and all these things. And he was so full of anguish. He wasn't seeing results. They took his son to doctors and did everything they could to try to find a solution for help for their son. Finally, the dad touched the scars. Here's how he touched them. Jesus said to the Father, He said, Do you believe? Do you believe? I say to this congregation, this full house today, Do you believe? And the Father, who saw his son suffering, responded like maybe. Some of us need to. God, I believe. I believe. But listen to these words. He said, God, I believe. But help me to overcome my unbelief. The moment he was transparent, honest, and open with God and touched the scars, God turned him into stars and miracles began to happen. 
his boy was delivered. And right, down and th right then and there, God began to move. Sometimes in your life, you need to take down the barriers of doubt and stop being a doubting Thomas and stop trying to touch the scars and start reaching to the star, which is J-E-S-U-S. That's why the wise men, they followed the star. The star. And when they followed the star, they found him. And they gave him their best and nothing less. God wants you to give him your best and nothing less. Will you stand with me this morning? Let's touch the star. God, let's touch the scar. Lord, I believe. But help me. Help me, dear God to overcome my unbelief. Will you bow your heads with me? I'm not going to call you forward, I promise you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I'd be remiss if I don't get the opportunity to introduce you to your star, your king, your lord, your master, your living king. And how do you do that? By invitation. So this morning as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, Maybe there's someone here today that you're a doubting Thomas and you need to touch the star. You say, Pastor, I want Jesus in my life. I want to have the assurance and the hope of knowing that God is my Savior. If that's you today, all I'm going to ask you to do is lift your hand. You say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Just lift your hand up. You want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You say, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Anyone in here today, I'm going to count to three. Don't miss this call. Come on. There's one. Yes. Anyone else? You say, Pastor. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. See another one? Yes, yes. Three hands. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, over here. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, four hands. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Two. Don't miss this call. Yes, five. Yes, another one. Five. You say, yes, another over there. Yes, I see your hand, young man. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Say, Pastor. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want to touch the star. I want the resurrected life in me today. If that's you, don't miss this call. Man. Yes, another hand. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Oh, you're so good to see. So proud of you, young lady. Six hands. Anyone else? You may put them down. Father, this morning, those six hands that are raised, I pray that, God, they will touch the star today, that you will come into their lives and transform them, change them, and rearrange them by the power of your Holy Spirit. They're giving you the invitation. You're a gentleman. You come only by invitation. And I pray that, God, you will come into the lives of those here today that raised their hand. They want to touch the star and not the scars. Lord, they want victory in their lives. They want hope in their life. They want peace in their life. They want assurance in their life that everything is going to be okay. So, Father, thank you for these six, God. And maybe there's others here today that have rejected, turned away. But I pray, God, that you will speak to them also. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are a resurrected Savior that is living and active within us today. Bless every individual today. We thank you for the celebration of life. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Amen.
God bless you today. Make sure you go out and get your pictures and cotton candy and popcorn. God bless you today. God bless you. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. Death has lost its victory and the grave has been denied. Jesus lives forever. He's alive. for listening to today's message. If this message has encouraged you in any way, please consider giving to Adventure Church to help continue this ministry. Giving is safe and easy through our website at www.adventurechurchsiren.com. Thank you for your generous support.